Well, I do invite you this morning to uh, open your Bibles to the book of uh, Acts, chapter 2. Turn to verse 42. We're going to begin reading there. Luke writes these words, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. And Father, we we do ask that you would take your word this morning, uh, Lord, as we get a glimpse of this New Testament church, Lord, and and Lord, use it to have us stand alongside of it and see, Lord, how we are like that church and how we might become more like that church. Lord, I pray you just bless your word as it goes forth today. Use it for your glory's sake, in Christ's name, amen. Well, since the beginning of Redeeming Grace Church, almost three years ago, uh, it's been my passion to trust the Lord Jesus Christ to raise up, to build a church that's strong here on the foundation of God's Word. Uh, This began with a vision that started in in the hearts of several, with a church over in in Powell, and to see that the gospel might be spread gloriously, not only to Cody, but as we've already seen through the uttermost parts of the world. Some of you were here at the beginning. Some of you were here that first Sunday that we began to meet. Others of you have joined up along the way and and become a part of what God is doing here in Cody. And so, as I shared with you last week, my my prayer is is that that we wouldn't become dull in our understanding of who we are as a church, that we wouldn't become a, a church that is steeped into its tradition to the point where we lose a sense of the vision that God has for us. We want to be that church that is ever reforming, ever becoming the church that God has called us to be, the church that Jesus Christ died for. So last week I shared with you, I want to take a break from Romans. Uh, I thought it was going to be a one-week break, but it turned out to be a two-week break. So we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Lord willing, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8 next, next Lord's Day, and we'll be finishing up that chapter and uh, Dave has extra time to practice, right, Dave? Dave's ready for nine. He's chomping at the bit because when we get to nine, Dave has memorized the whole ninth chapter. He's going to share it with us as, as a church. And that will be a blessing. So you have some time to brush up even more. Uh, but the last Lord's Day, we opened up with Acts 2.42. And, and we read through that whole passage that I just read again today. And we got a little glimpse from, from, the, uh, from Luke, who opened the door of this, this, this New Testament church in Jerusalem and took some snapshots and gave us a picture of what it was like in those days. And, uh, and so we, we, as we read through this passage, we see that there's some marks of what I believe is a good church, a healthy church. And I pray that God would use uh, this passage as we look at it today, and, and we're going to come in and out of it, you know, Lord willing, in the future, and we'll finish it up uh, down the road, but begin to see some of the, uh, the um, Christ-exalting marks of, of a good church. Uh, last Lord's Day, as we opened up Acts 2, Luke opened up the front door, and so we, we decided to call this church a, a God-glorifying, kingdom-advancing church. And I think that's a good way of describing who we are here at Redeeming Grace Church. We want to be a church that's a God-glorifying, kingdom-advancing church here in Cody. Now, we're not going to be able to find all five marks today. We're not going to be able to get there, but uh, 
We will get to the second mark out of the five today that begins right at the very opening of, of chapter uh, 2, verse 42. But, but my, my prayer is this. My, my prayer is that God would stir up our hearts. It just wouldn't be kind of an educational, you know, understanding of what the church was like back in the first century. And we all yawn and leave here, you know, at the end. That's not the, the purpose. But my prayer is that God would take the word, stir our hearts with the power of the Holy Spirit, inflame our passions to become that ever-reforming church that God has designed it to be, for which Jesus Christ died for. If you haven't figured it out yet, that's my passion. I mean, that's, that, that was my passion in seeing God plant this church. And... Uh, that it might grow, that God might grow and, and plant a church here that's, that's, that's healthy, strong, alive, powerful, accomplishing what God wants to accomplish in and through us here in Cody. Now, the church in Acts 2, we need to remind ourselves, is this. This is not meant to be a normative church in Acts 2, 42 to 47. There's things about it that, that are not normative for us today. But there are some very practical principles for us to follow and to see in this passage. For example, uh, this was a transitional time. We, We have apostles living, apostles overseeing the church. The apostles that, that Paul says in the Ephesians were, were laying the foundation of the church. Um, we don't have apostles here today. That was a transitional time. We're going to see in this very passage later on that they were doing signs and wonders and miracles in the church at the hands of the apostles. Again, transitionary. So this isn't totally normative. Also, it's not normative in this sense that uh, this church was birthed on the heels of Pentecost, where Peter got up and preached and 3,000 people were miraculously converted all at once. And so there's only one Pentecost. There's only one big baptism of the Holy Spirit where, where, where God is saving and, 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 and filling His Spirit with, uh, with, with Himself uh, one time. We're not looking for a second Pentecost. We're not looking for a third Pentecost. There was one Pentecost. And every time a person comes to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, they are baptized in the Spirit of God. And by the way, this is not a church, the, 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 this was a church that didn't have any problems. They, they had problems back in those days. You, know, you begin to read through the book of Acts, you see things, things were happening, and weren't, things weren't perfect in, in that first century church. Now having said that, there are also, there's a lot of principles here, at least five, that I think that are help, helpful and lead to a healthy church today. Last week we looked at the mission of the church and we thought, that's, that's important. Why are we here? And we're all sitting in these chairs today. Why are you here? Well, I'm here to hear a sermon. I'm here to sing some songs. Uh, you know, it's Sunday, I go to church. No, no. Why are you part, a member of this particular local assembly, the body of Christ? Is there a purpose that God has for you? And are you fulfilling that purpose according to the Word of God? We saw the first purpose that God has for our church is we're to be a glorifying church, a God-glorifying church, 1 Corinthians 10.31. And we're also to be a church where we're, we're, we're being faithful to the great commission that God gave us and in Matthew chapter 28, uh, a church is going, we're on the go, we're not sitting here, we're a church on the go. And so we see a church that's going and making disciples. Not just here in Powell or Cody, but actually not even just in Wyoming, but throughout the whole world, to all the nations of the world. And then baptizing them when they come to saving faith in Christ. And then teaching them to what? To be obedient to all the things that Christ taught the apostles. And so there's five marks in this passage that we're going to be looking at. Last week we looked at the first mark, and that was a mark of the makeup of the church. I think that's important. It's implied there. It's not directly stated. It's strongly implied is this was a church made up of baptized believers. That's how God designed the church, to be made up of believers. A church that's one in the faith. A church that's of called out believers. Salvation that brings oneness and unity of Christ. It's only, it's only a saved church, a regenerate church, that can live out the principles that we see 
in this, in this chapter. Now today we're going to look at the second mark, and it's the very beginning of verse 42. And it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Uh, they were one in their doctrine. That's the second mark. They're one in their faith. They were, they were regenerate, baptized believers. Now they're also one in their doctrine. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They implies who? Remember pronouns. We're, we're big on pronouns. We have to know the what? Antecedent. The antecedent of they is our, huh? The church, yeah, those who've been saved. Uh, the, uh, earlier, up in verse uh, 41, they, those who are the baptized believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Uh, to the people of God, they had a purpose in gathering. They just didn't hang out together. They had a purpose. And one of the purposes was the apostles would teach them sound doctrine. Uh, that, in fact, that's at the very top of the list for a local church. If God is to fulfill his mission of reaching the uttermost parts of the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, if God is to grow you into the very image of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, yes, you must be believers, but number two, you must be taught. You must grow and spiritually mature. And so sound doctrine and teaching is central to the gathering of God's people. By the way, this is foundational. This is foundational to the church. I mean, today the God-glorifying kingdom advancing church is, is the one where the apostles are teaching the people. You say, well, where are the apostles? I don't see the apostles. We're going to see that in just a minute. But it's foundational. I mean, Paul reminds us of this in Ephesians 2.10. He says, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the apostles' teaching. Uh, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now let's go back to our mission. Remember our mission? Number one, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, glorify God. Number two, Great Commission, Matthew 28, go, make disciples of the whole world. And then once they're baptized, they believe in Christ and they're baptized, what happens? They're to be taught, teaching them to observe all things that, I have, that, that they have been taught by Christ teaching them to be obedient to all the things that, they were, that Christ had taught them. So this church was about doctrine. Do you realize that? I mean, this church is about, it's a doctrinal church. They preach doctrine there. Uh, apostolic teaching. I mean, they had no doctrinal statement then. They didn't have a London Baptist Confession of Faith of 1689 back in those days. They didn't have a Reformed Study Bible like some of you might be having today. They can look at the notes and have the teaching at the bottom there. They had none of that. They had the apostles who one-on-one would sit and teach them. They'd sit at the feet of the apostles and teach them doctrine. These apostles were being faithful to their commission, Matthew 28. They were teaching them and observing all things to the end of the age. And so in the early days, the, the, the church, the body of Christ, sat at the feet of the apostles. And they listened to the apostles teach them sound doctrine. And I'm sure the doctrine must have focused on Christ and the redemptive work of Christ and all that he's done. The emphasis on the grace of God alone versus works. But you see glimpses of this all the way through the book of Acts. This is what the apostle, particularly Paul, this is what he did. Remember in Acts 6, we saw a few weeks ago uh, the, the office of deacons in the church and, and, and why these prototype deacons, they appoint them early in the ministry of the church. It's because, uh, the number one, there was a need in the body. Number two, the apostles had to do what? Commit themselves to prayer and teaching or the word of God. So this is central to, to the ministry of the church. And so in Acts 11.25, we see that then departed Barnabas to Tarsus to seek after Saul. And when he had found Paul or Saul, he, he brought him to Antioch. And it came to pass that as a whole year, for a whole year, they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. So there you see the apostolic teaching. Acts 18.11. In Corinth, you see, and Paul continued there a year and six months, 
teaching the word of God. There he was, teaching the word of God in Acts 19.9. And when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way of Christians before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannius for two years. Acts 20, we have, remember, remember Eutychus up there in the window and too much smoke getting into his, you know, his eyes and his nostrils and it's late at night, it's midnight and the candles are burning and Paul's waxing eloquently. He's teaching the people late into the night. Paul talked to them, it says in verse 7. And then Eutychus finally just couldn't take it anymore and he fell out of the window, remember, he died. And Paul fell on him and brought him back to life again. Really a colorful story of the teaching ministry of the church. Acts 28.30, he lived there two years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. So the apostles' teaching that we see here in the first in verse 42 is, is, is doctrine. It, that's what the word doctrine means, is what? Teaching. And not just teaching, but apostolic teaching. The first century Christians did not have, a, again, a Reformation study Bible. They, they had the apostles. And so the question is, what was the apostles' teaching? What were the, the apostles' teaching this early church? Well, remember, there were 11 apostles, uh, one washed out. There was uh, Matthias was at it, Paul was later at it, Acts 9. And they were sent into the world to testify of the risen Lord and baptize uh, new believers and plant churches and also to be in teaching, apostolic teaching of the church. And so what made the apostolic teaching apostolic teaching? These were men who were teaching what Christ had taught them. What Christ had revealed to them, they are now teaching the church. And I'm sure they were preaching Christ in all of his offices, prophet, priest, and king. You know, in Hebrews 1.1, we see long ago and many times in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these days, these last days, he has spoken to us by his son through the apostles. John 16, 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when the Spirit of truth comes, he told the apostles, he will guide you into all truth. And whatever he hears, he will speak. So whatever the, whatever the Spirit hears from the Son, he will put in the heart of the apostles, and the apostles will declare it to you. And he will glorify me. So apostolic teaching, in short, would be Christ's teaching, not just any teaching. This isn't a book of morality, by the way. This isn't a book of law. This isn't a book of, uh, of self-help. This isn't a 12-step program that they gave to the church on how to live a better Christian life. This isn't the apostolic story they were telling. It isn't a book of jokes or current events. This was the teaching of Christ, and particularly about Christ himself and all that he has done and accomplished. And so these early Christians were receiving a strong dose of theology as part of their early church life. And uh, in many ways, it encompassed the teaching of the whole New Testament, which we have today. It was envisioned by Paul in 2 Timothy 3.16, where all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. It's the whole Bible is really the apostolic teaching from Genesis all the way to Revelation. I mean, we, we, we don't have the freedom to pick and choose what we believe is in the Bible or not in the Bible. We're to preach apostolic teaching of the Word of God. Now, what that means, uh, quite frankly, is you, Thomas Jefferson did not have the liberty to take his Bible and take a scissors out and cut out all the miracles of the Bible because he didn't like them. And so you have the Jefferson Bible with, I mean, when you start cutting the miracles out of the Bible, you, you got, I don't know what you have left, but just a few pages. It's a miracle book. And I'm sure the apostolic teaching included the miracles. 
And so as the church would sit at the feet of the apostles, and the apostles then would teach, I'm sure they would teach the theology of God. They would speak of God and all of his glory, all of his divine attributes, his sovereignty, his grace, his holiness. They would teach the doctrine of man, the fall of man, the depravity of man, how to be made right with God through Christ. They would, they would have heard the universal condemnation of sinners. Those who disobey the, the, the law of God and who are without Christ are going to spend eternity in hell. They heard about judgment. They heard about redemption. They heard about the incarnation of Christ, His coming into the world. The hypostatic union of God and man. His ministry, His death, His burial, His resurrection. They heard it all. They were taught. And we spend a lot of time, haven't we, in, in, in the book of Romans, going through the doctrine of justification by faith alone. And this is one of the main themes that runs through the whole, the whole book of, of, of Romans. And I know they heard that. They knew that. They understood that salvation is by grace through faith and what Christ has accomplished, but not anything they can do themselves. They knew that. They knew that if they had any right standing with God, it had to be the righteousness of Christ that would be imputed to them. And, and their sins being given to Christ, and He paid for them, and now they're gone as far as the east is from the west. And the apostles' teaching must have included the kingdom of God and how we're to live here on earth, a sanctified life as we go on, we've seen that as we go on through Romans. And then the eternal glory that lies ahead. I mean, just think of... All the doctrinal teaching from, from the, the apostles. And notice they, they devoted themselves to these teachings. And I believe it wasn't just the New Testament. Remember when Paul went to town, from town to town, synagogue to synagogue, he would preach what? The Old Testament showing them whom? The Lord Jesus Christ. And so really they, they, they looked back, they looked forward, they looked in the present, and they could see the, the big redemptive purposes of God throughout history. Luke 24, 27 says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus Christ interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. You know, what a blessing it must have been. I mean, just try and get your imagination cranked up a little bit and, and, and think what it must have been like. Being in an assembly maybe like ours here today, and it's not Don Thomas or anyone else up here, it, it's the Apostles. It's one of the apostles that walked with Christ and talked with Christ and saw the resurrected Christ. And, and, and now he's sitting teaching us the very things that Christ wants us to know. And, and you picture a church with their ears perked up and they're listening. Uh, I mean, in our day, we have nothing like this. I mean, we have, okay, you go to YouTube and you can go to R.C. Sproul and watch him preach one of his, his wonderful sermons. And what a blessing that is. You know, we do have the internet, and we can go look at some of the conference speakers that are the best in the, in the land and, and listen to them teach and wax eloquently on some particular doctrine. And that's good. That, that, that blesses us. But, by the way, do you like to watch the, question, the Q&As on those conferences? I love watching those things, you know. And You've got a whole panel of men up there, and you, you might have Sproul, MacArthur, Piper, Steve Lawson, you know, I don't know, you, you might have a whole, a whole crew of men up there, and then, and then the congregation is writing down their questions, and they shoot them off to these guys, and then the moderator is there reading the questions, and then all these great men of God reading, you know, giving their answers. I mean, I watched one recently, and I don't know who was on the panel, but all, you know, all the big names were there, and here's the question. Men, what is the origin of evil. Crickets. Crickets. They sat there and there was like, there was no answer. These are like the big theological thinkers of the land. And they try to weigh in and kind of, you know, give a little some answers. But I was thinking, you know, can you imagine putting on your sanctified imagination that if you were in a setting where, say, the Apostle Paul just did a teaching for us on Romans 8. This isn't like Don Thomas's, you know, understanding of what Romans 8 is, preaching it to you. This is 
the apostle Paul, who received it by divine revelation, who knows what every word means that he's saying. And he's, he's explaining Romans 8 to us. And we're listening with bated breath. And we're hearing like, those whom he foreknew, he predestined. And he's telling us this. And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. And you go, okay, Paul. And then we get, he gets all done. Amen. The sermon's over. And now it's time for question and answers. And so, you know, we don't have a panel of theologians up here. We have Paul. And Paul's going to answer the question for us. And so someone in, in the body of Christ writes it down on, on a piece of paper and says, Paul, I just heard what you said. I heard that you said that those whom he foreknew, he predestined. I don't understand, Paul, what you mean by foreknowledge. Do you mean he looked down a tunnel of time? Are you going to give us the four views of that and let us choose for ourselves? Or what is the right meaning of foreknew or foreknowledge? And then Paul would answer us. And he'd give us the right answer. Now, I believe we know the right answer. We've already went through that recently in, in, in Romans. But, you know, you, you hear me preach from time to time, and I'll, I'll share the three views, the four views, the two views. You know, and these are all godly men, and they disagree on this, and here's some views. You don't have that with the Apostle Paul or any of the other apostles. When they, when they taught, they understood what they were saying. You were hearing it right from the, I don't want to say the horse's mouth, but I did say it. And, and they're hearing it right from the apostolic mouth. And it's from revelation from Jesus Christ Himself. Well, that be wouldn't that have been exciting? Apostolic teaching did not stop in the first century. We have apostolic teaching today, even though there's no apostles, because the apostles, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, penned much of the New Testament. And when I stand up and preach from the New Testament, I'm or any sixty-six books of the whole Bible, we're really preaching the apostolic teaching. Now, if you read apostolic teaching and preaching in, in the Scriptures, you're going to see that the apostolic preaching comes with a warning. Uh, the, the apostles put it there. They said, every day is not going to be like Acts chapter 2. You realize that. There's coming another day when people will stand for sound doctrine. In fact, they're going to reject this very teaching that I'm giving you. In 2 Timothy 4.3, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they'll turn away from listening to the truth, and they're going to wander off into myths. They're going to endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Now, that's the warning that came. That isn't where the church was in Acts 2, but that's where the church is today. These are the very, we're a fulfillment of what Paul said in Acts 2, 4, 3. We find ourselves living in doctrinally hard times. Many places, the apostolic teaching has fallen out of vogue. Our postmodern culture is a culture that has shut its ears to anything that's objectively declared by God Himself. And so the black and whites of Scripture have become the blurred grays of the current generation. And what's true for you might not be true for me, and what's true for me might not be true for you, and I feel and I think that's where we are today, not in the realm of apostolic teaching. By the way, just to kind of insert this here, I want you to add that it's apostolic teaching. And so not only is there an emphasis on, on the doctrine and on the subject matter and who taught it, but it, it's something that's taught. It's not just read, it's taught. And perhaps even a better way of looking at it, usually it's preached, it's proclaimed, it's heralded. 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word, Paul says, 
Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, and complete with complete patience and teaching. Now, in such spiritually dark times that we find ourselves in, we shouldn't be surprised to see a pulpit uh, <laughs> removed from a, from a church setting. Not that there's anything sanctified by a pulpit itself. It's a piece of wood. You know, I thank Dave for making this one. And, you know, he's clever enough to even make a pulpit that would fold up. It doesn't look like that, but it folds up and it's put away. But in many churches today, instead of the pulpit, which would be the place for the proclamation of the Word of God, you're going to find substitutes that have worked their way in. And uh, things like plexiglass drum shields. Or you're going to find things like a musical lectern. Uh, the music has replaced the preaching in many churches today. So no wonder this is a time of spiritual weakness. Spurgeon put it this way in his time, and I think if he lived in our time, he'd probably just drop dead. He says, the mission of amusement produces no converts. The need of the hour for today's ministry is believing Scholarship joined with earnest spirituality. The one springing from the other as fruit from the root. The need today, and this is his day, 18, late 1800s. The need today is biblical doctrine. So understood and felt that it sets men on fire. And I think that's, that's what's needed today. You can pump people up with music. You know, and they're going to deflate by the time they walk out the back door. But you, you bring the Word of God to bear. You bring sound doctrine to bear. And the power of the Holy Spirit, lives change for eternity. So, expository preaching would be preaching where you find the Word of God read. Expository preaching would be a place where you find the, not only read, but, but the, the Bible explained. The meaning brought to the, the ears of the hearers. And then thirdly, where, where the Word of God is applied to the hearts of the church. And there you'll find a church that's thundering in the whole counsel of God. And so it's through apostolic preaching that the lost are, are born again. It's through apostolic teaching that, uh, that the church grows and matures into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's through apostolic preaching the church is moved and ignited by the Spirit of God to, to praise God and worship God with great joy. And hopefully you're seeing the progression that, that, that Paul, or Paul, excuse me, that Luke is making here in Acts 2. That is, it, it begins with a church that is believing, that's baptizing, and being taught. And they're, what they do? they're, hearing, they're hearing the word of truth. When people are added to the church, when they're baptized and added to the church, the results in teaching, the, the ultimate change is obedience, by the way, no preaching, no obedience. No salvation, no obedience. If you do away with doctrine, you do away with the preached word, you do away with holiness. There's no growth, there's no transformation. You know, one of the mantras today that you hear frequently is, you know, doctrine divides, but love what? Unites. You won't find a more loving church than you'll find in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. We're, we haven't gotten to that part yet, but there's love on display. And where did that love come from? Was it love that united them? No. It was, first of all, it was salvation that united them. Secondly, it was the doctrine that united them because they were one in truth. And now they lived out this doctrine. They, it, it issues forth into love and unity, and oneness. You know, do away with the preached word. Uh, there is no growth. There is no transformation. When I was, uh, oh, many, many years ago, I was teaching at a pastor's conference in San Jose. And I uh, went out to lunch with a man, and he was lamenting about his church to me. And he said, uh, and this is a long time ago. <clears throat> this is way back. 
He said, you know, I have to change my preaching practices right recently. And I said, really, what happened? And he said, well, the elders met and they decided that our church cannot stand for any more than 15 minutes of preaching on Sunday. So they had the pianist over here. Don't do this now, Nancy. Watch this. The pianist, about 14 minutes into the sermon, comes up to the piano, almost with a stopwatch. And the moment he goes over 15 minutes, the pianist starts slowly, and then the hook, come, literally, the hook comes out and pulls him off, off from the pulpit. That's where a lot of churches are today. You know, they, they won't stand for sound doctrine. So they scrap preaching, they scrap teaching, they remove the pulpit, they bring in full force of music, entertainment, and they don't realize they have it all backwards. It's the other way around. It begins with teaching, and it results in love. We have fellowship with one another. Why? Because we, we embrace the same Jesus. We have the same spirit. We have the same salvation. We have the same, the same love for one another because we love the same Father. And also, our doctrine unites us. Do you realize that? I mean, this is what we want to do. We want to become a church where our doctrine is, we're, we're one. Not in every small point. But the major doctrines of the faith, the apostolic teaching, we want to be one on those doctrines. Now, I want to spend a moment or two before we close looking at the, another word in this, the word devoted in your Bible, if you have an ESV. They devoted themselves because now the, fo- the focus is on not the apostles doing the teaching, but the church itself receiving that teaching. And that's a kind of a, it's a compound word. They devoted themselves. Pros, you have the pronoun, you have the uh, pros, you, you have motion toward. Cartereo, you have strong, firm, endurance. And you put those two together and you have a church that's persistent. You have a church that's devoted. Devoted to what? To being taught. Devoted to what? Hear, hear, hearing what the, the apostles teach. They're committed. I mean, if you use the vernacular of the day, they're all in. They're all in to hear the Word of God preached and taught. And it carries with it a perseverance. It's an imperfect which carries on. It's an ongoing. They're, they're, always, they're always all in for the preaching of the Word. And so what you have is a church that, that shows that they weren't reluctant about coming in those doors and hearing the Word of God preached to them. They weren't reluctant about that. Oh, here we go again, you know, one more sermon. They were eager. This is the heart of a true Christian. When God saves you, He puts a hunger in your heart for truth. And you want to hear the Word of God taught. And you want to hear the Word of God preached. And you want to read the Word of God yourself. I mean, Peter tells us when you come to Christ, you're like a newborn babe. You're longing from the very beginning. You want to know what God has to say for you in His Word. So you long for the pure milk of the Word so that by it, the young believer might grow in respect of salvation. I don't know if I shared this before. I have shared it on other occasions. But Mary's brother, Brad, was saved many, many years ago. Uh, we were living up in Northern California when he was converted to Christ, and uh, it was through the uh, the Calvary Chapel hippie movement back down in Southern California. But anyway, he was converted, baptized out in the Pacific Ocean, gets on the phone, he calls us up in, in Woodland, and he says, I'm saved, God saved me, praise the Lord. He says, what are you doing next weekend? I says, well, nothing really. Can I come up from Southern California to Northern California and spend the weekend with you? Yeah, come on up. So he, he came on up, got his bags, went right to our guest bedroom, closed the door, and he was gone. For almost three days, he was locked behind that door. And I wonder, are you okay? Knock on, you okay, Brad? Everything all right in there? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. Did he come out for meals, honey? I forget whether he slipped him under the door or not. I think he did come out for meals. And finally, one day, we knocked on the door, are you okay? And he says, yeah. He says, uh, when God saved me, I had to know what he had to say for me. So I brought my Bible, and I locked myself in that your bedroom, 
And I've read now from Genesis all the way to Revelation because I wanted to hear what God had to say to me. That's the hunger that God puts in the heart of a new convert when they come to Christ. They, they want the word, like a newborn baby, they want the word. And, and for Brad, it was like, if it takes two and a half, three days, I want to read it from cover to cover. And he did. And that's the mark of true conversion, that hunger for the word of God, this passion that we see that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They're, they had a growing appetite to be fed more and more, and, and now not just milk, but meat. And where that works its way out in your life as a Christian, it means like whenever the church opens up the Bible, you ought to be there. I mean, we open up the Bible on Sunday morning. We open up the Bible on, on Wednesday nights. Uh, the men open up the Bible once a month, and we have pancakes and Proverbs. The ladies open the Bible every other week, and they have a ladies' Bible study on contentment. And so wherever the Bible is being opened, if we're going to be a people that, that are devoted, devoting themselves continually to the Word of God, we need to be there when the Word of God is taught. And so we ask ourselves, do we hunger as they hungered for that teaching? That's the mark of true conversion. That's the mark of a God-glorifying, kingdom-advancing church. You know, it's just our, our spiritual bodies are just like our physical bodies. I mean, I won't have you raise your hand, but how many of you had breakfast this morning? I mean, the alarm goes off. It's Sunday. You go, you know, you got so much time to get to church. And I think all of us try and squeeze in breakfast. Why? Because we're hungry. We're breaking our fast so overnight. We haven't eaten. And then, of course, now it's, you know, it's getting close to that time. The stomach starts to growl a little bit, and, or we have a potluck, and we're smelling it in the other room, and it's lunchtime. Well, we want to eat. And dinner time, and, of course, none of you snack between meals, but just think about how much we are obedient to our physical bodies who have a passion to want to eat. The same is true in our spiritual life. New birth, new appetites. The more you want to learn and grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And sadly, this is what's missing in so many of the churches today. You know, they have appetites for everything except the Word. So few are devoted to hearing the Word. Oh, we don't have time. I've mean, got a busy life. Well, I know we do. But you have time to eat your food. You have time to eat your meals. Do you have time to gather and hear the Word of God read, taught. I mean, every one of us in this room has been given 24 hours in every day. None of us have any more or less time than one of each other. It's a matter of how we prioritize the time that we have for the very means of grace that God has given us. These people were ecstatic to gather together to hear God's Word preached by the apostles. I'm sure there are much better preachers than I'll ever be and, and much better teachers than we'll ever have here this side of eternity. But on the other hand, they came and they heard. By the way, I, I try and preach the sermon to myself before I preach it to you. That's what a good pastor should do. So I have my own personal application in here for me. And my notes say, Don, this is for you. Preach the word. Preach the word. Preach sound doctrine. Persevere in expositional preaching of the word, Don. This is the means of life. This is the means of health. This is the means of strength. This is the means of salvation in the body of Christ. Preach the word. And one of the things I've learned from many years of preaching is this. You always don't get to see the fruit of your preaching ministry here on earth. Um, or sometimes the fruit or the, the, the product of the preaching is delayed. In fact, we might not ever see a full fruit of, of a preaching ministry. I'll give you an example. When I was uh, a brand new Christian, and we'd moved to Northern California, and this is that story about Mary and I were, we were convinced we'd never have children, right? Sorry, Matt. But uh, we were convinced when we got married, that was it. Me and Mary for life, no kids. That's where we were at. 
two unconverted pagans. And then God saved us, seven years into our marriage. Then we moved to Northern California. And now we're sitting in this church, and there's a visiting pastor up front. And he's, he's the guy who said, you know, by the way, there's some of you out there, Mary, been married 10 years. Been married nine years at that point. 10 years. You don't have any kids. You know why? Because you're so selfish. Oh, man, it was like arrows went into my heart. And I'm going, how did he know about us? How did he know we've been married almost 10 years without children because we're so selfish? And then the joke of the family is that, uh, and it's not really too much of a joke, that nine years to that day, Stephen was born. Because there's direct application of that sermon in our family. Now, fast forward many years, all the kids are born, seven kids. Again, at the same pastor's conference I'm teaching down in San Jose, we're in a breakout session. There's about 12 or 13 pastors there, and I'm teaching this little breakout session. And this guy was a traveling pastor, so he was just there that one Sunday. But we knew his name, didn't we? Pastor Dungee. I don't know how this stuck with us. And I'm looking out this little breakout session, and I'm going, now I've got seven kids now. And there's Pastor Dungee sitting right there. I said, are you Pastor Dungee? And he said, yes. Would you, after we're done, would you mind just staying and have a few words? I want to talk with you. And he did. And I said, you know, sometimes people wonder whether or not there's any fruit from their ministry, whether anyone's listening to their sermons or whether there's any application. But I want you to know, Pastor Dungee, I have seven children because of you. He said, what are you talking about? You know, he didn't realize that the, the Word of God went out. It had a transforming effect on our family. And uh, all because of, of the Word of God. Ian Murray says, The recovery and revival of the church after periods of declension always begin in the ministry of the Word. Where's the church stirred up? Well, you know, when the church reaches its low point. At what point is it? do we have... At, periods of declension always begins coming out of the declension with a ministry of the Word of God. So all of us, there's some practical application for us in this passage. Those of us who are sitting under the preaching of the Word of God, here, here, here's my exhortation to you. Because you love Christ, because you love His Word, because of all that Christ has done for you, whenever God's Word is preached, you should be there as a church. When, when, if the church thinks it's important enough we're going to be opening up our Bibles, then I think as, as a part of the church being devoted to the Word of God to be there at that time. Come eagerly. Come with a desire to hear God speak to you. I know this is hard to figure out you know, and, and, and picture in your own mind, but, but picture this. The words that are coming out of this frail, stumbling preacher here are the very words of God. Now, that sounds pretty, pretty presumptuous, doesn't it? These are the words of God. But this is how God speaks to us, is through the proclamation of the Word, through the preached Word of God. And so when the Word is, is properly preached and accurately divided, it doesn't mean that the pastor is going to be without air, it's going to be perfect, but what you're hearing declared to you into your hearing is the very Word of God, and God is speaking to you. And that, that makes preaching and teaching rise to a whole new level. If you can put me aside, all my weirdness aside, and simply realize that the words you're hearing are really God speaking to you, should have a, a transforming effect on you. And it should change the way you look at preaching altogether. Um, come eagerly. Come eagerly to hear God speak. Anticipate God speaking to you. Uh, don't come to have your ears entertained. Don't come with a critical spirit, how we can pick everything apart. Don't come out of curiosity. Enter to be transformed by the Word of God, Romans 12.1. And I ask you, you know, not out loud, but do you have that desire? Is that, is that you in, in, in the redeemed work that God's done in your life? J.I. Packer writes, we complain today that ministers do not know how to preach. Amen? But is, not, is it not equally true that our congregations don't know how to hear? I mean, it's a two-way street. And uh, 
Whenever the man opens up his mouth and the Word of God comes out, listen with regenerate ears, listen attentively, avoid distractions. Remember the enemy's here, he's like that bird that's going to be sitting on your shoulder and he wants to pluck the Word out of your heart before it even gets to your heart. There's spiritual warfare going on whenever the Word of God is being preached. Realizing we all have room to grow. <clears throat> ladies, do you have room to grow? There's, there's a ladies' Bible study. I mean, I was blessed to see so many men come out yesterday to our men's breakfast. It was very encouraging. Uh, it was cold. It was windy. I mean, I thought, this is every excuse not to be, not be there. But what a blessing it was to see so many of the men there, not only having pancakes that Dave made, but, but, but immersing themselves in the Proverbs. And the kids were there, with their children there. And, and what a blessing that was. Always apply Scripture practically. Ask how God might change your thinking, how God might change your speaking. Ask how God might change your conduct. And every time you come in and, and you hear the Word of God taught, wherever it is, pray. Pray before the Word's preached. Pray during the Word being preached. Pray after the Word is being preached. And I want to just close with a quote from John Calvin. Whenever we see the Word of God purely preached and heard, there is a church of God that exists, even if it swarms with many faults. You know, if you remember last week we talked about how many marks there are of a, of a good church? You remember some of the Puritans, some of the Reformers, said there was one mark, just one mark? Remember what that was? And they all agreed on that one mark. But some just know there's only one mark of a healthy church. That is what? The faithful preaching of the Word of God. That's it, period. And then Calvin added to that the uh, faithful observance of the, uh, of the sacraments. So there were two. And then the third one came along and said, no, you've got to put your church discipline there. And they added to it. But they all agree that the central purpose of the church of, of Jesus Christ is to gather together for apostolic teaching and preaching. May God help us become that God-glorifying, kingdom-advancing church. And Father, we close just thanking you for hopefully taking your word today and prayerfully asking you, Lord, to apply it to all of our hearts. Oh, Father, there's a, there's a gospel we're going to see in a, in a few minutes. And perhaps there's someone here without Christ that you even right now would begin opening their heart as they hear the truth come forth about the work of Christ, His redemptive work in saving sinners. Lord, prepare them to come with hearts of faith and repentance. But for all of us who are baptized believers, members of Redeeming Grace Church, I pray, Lord, you would give us a, a hunger and a thirst that we would persevere in, in hearing the Word taught wherever it's taught. And may it be added to our own homes and our family worship. May, may the Word be just central to all that we do. May you use it to conform us into a church of oneness and love. In Christ's name, amen.